understand, and in, Kevin in, uh, will read Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Okay, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seat, uh, seated on a throne, the train of his robe filled with the temple. Filled the temple, excuse me. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for.
from Isaiah. He saw you high lifted up and it was holy, holy, holy. That's who you are is the God of the universe, is the creator of the world, the creator of us. And, and we want to recognize that. So here we are to worship you, a holy, holy God. Help us do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. While you're up, this is easy. <laughs> Greet
certainly that's what we uh, <coughs> want to do this morning for you are great and you are above all that and, and you're merciful and you're kind and you're loving and you're patient and you forgive and you provide for us. You, you take care of your children. As uh, the Hebrew says, Hebrews 11 says, you know, that, uh, <coughs> hang on, Hebrews 11 says that uh, you do take care of your children. For example, uh, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. You did that so they could walk into the promised land. And then he says, what failed with, we think about even what you've done in the Old Testament for Gideon, for Barak, for Samson, for Jephthah, for David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, for weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put army put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And so, Lord, you know, and that's what's awesome about your word, because in the Old Testament, you have recorded for us what you have done, especially for your nation Israel. And it's miracle after miracle after miracle. And we realize how great you are from parting the Red Sea to getting them out of Egypt, the whole thing with Passover, which we'll look at next week, it is just awesome what you do. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you that, for example, you know, you've gotten Joel in all of the Emmanuel's child, no, Emmanuel's orphanage people out of Myanmar, and you got them to India. And, and that was no big task with, uh, with the, the military, you know, uh, causing problems, the border, you know, and all that, but they made it. And we're thankful. We're thankful that you spared them. And then we realize that it doesn't always go that way. For You know, the passage goes on to say, uh, after women received back their dead by resurrection, others were tortured, not accepting the release so that they may obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went out in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. But Lord, we realize that uh, none of that happened until you were ready for it to happen. As Paul said, you stood with him and strengthened him, so that through him the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles may hear and he was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we know Paul was beheaded. Paul was killed in prison. But not until he was done. And not until he had accomplished what you had for him to accomplish. So that's the great assurance we have of how great you are. A, you can control everything. You do control everything. And nothing happens by accident. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And that is why we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Charlene's going to go to... Uh, oh. And we, we, they've got some pictures from, uh, from Joel. There you go. 
So here they are loading up. He had, remember, he had gotten a van uh, to leave Myanmar and uh, he loaded up. Now remember, he had sent his wife and a couple of his own kids and uh, some of the people ahead, I think several months ago. And he stayed behind and his things got worse as uh, you know, they're saying now everybody, just about everybody's got to spend time in their army that it was time to go. So there they are loading up. Here they are at the Indian border. Not Indian border. India border. Well, I guess it would be the Indian border. Yeah, yeah close enough. Okay. Uh, India border crossing. Next one will go up. Uh, and here he's united with his two youngest daughters. Well, after two and a half months. And so, uh, can imagine how tough it would be. This is now that everybody's together in India and uh, reunited with the family, family reunion. So, <clears throat> that is, that's a miracle because uh, they were up against, you know, amazing, amazing odds. She'll find it. No, swipe it. There it's you go. Not doing what it's, supposed to do. well, it's easier if you swipe there. Yours does not work like mine did. There we go. <laughs> That's because it's not yours. <laughs> okay, so think about that and the great things that God mm -hmm. has done. You're going to be sitting for it in a little while. So you want to stand or you want to sit? I'll give you <laughs> Sorry, I must have to stand. Okay, let's stand. <laughs> <laughs>
grace, your grace. We are here to uh, declare, triumph, worship your grace. So help us see that certainly from your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may have noticed that there is a theme. What's the theme that we've been... Uh, anybody? Oh, come on. What? We have sung... We have sung... Grace. Thank you. Grace. This is about grace. This is about grace. As uh, you should take your Bible. See, our, you should be warned now. It's warmer up here. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really warm here. You want to move? You've been working out. No, I can I can feel it. It's just it's warm. Pardon? It's warm enough. It's warm enough. I actually think. Well, never mind. Let's uh, go back to James. And uh, what I want to do this morning, it's a little bit different since uh, we're in this intimate setting, which is nice, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. thank you, Peter. I was getting hot. See, this is the problem. Now I know why we shouldn't do this. I don't know what in the world they're doing, but they're pulling hoses out. I think they're practicing. They're practicing. They're going to suck all the water out of the, out of the creek. Don't <laughs> turn around. I'm so thankful you're looking this way. So, because otherwise, uh, you know, you're distracted worse than we are. So, I'm going to flow through James chapter 4. We're going to finish. And, and we can title this. There are 10 steps in here because there are 10 imperatives. So if you want to think about, you know, your 12-step programs that are helpful, this is God's 10-step program to uh, basically fix everything. Or, you know, I entitled it wins, uh, on YouTube, you know, God's Road to Recovery. However you want to think about it, it's all here. But I thought for this morning, since we're in a little different format, uh, we're just going to flow through... James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And, and to help explain uh, the 10 steps, I'm going to be giving you uh, examples from other parts of the Bible. But I would suggest you just stay in James chapter 4. All right? That way you don't get lost because we're going to be going to the Old Testament, you know, predominantly to show you examples about how that works. Because the great thing about... The Bible is it's consistent. And what we have is God lays out for us his road to recovery, his 10 steps road to recovery. It's, it's been the same since Genesis. All the way through the Bible, it's the same. When we get to heaven, we won't need it. Right? Why will we not need it when we get to heaven? We'll be changed. We'll be changed. We'll be we won't be, we'll be changed into what? Yeah. When we get to heaven, we will be glorified. Perfect. Perfect. Nothing to recover from. So this is all to help us as we're here on earth. So I'm just going to kind of flow through it. I'm not going to worry about any fancy outline, which I've never been good at anyway. And we're just going to go through our ten steps. Like I said, I'll take you to the Old Testament. But just listen, all right? And I'll try not to watch the... Oh, I see. They're sucking water out of the creek. Okay. 
So, so thank you, dear. I need blinders. I need blinders. So let's notice James chapter four. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? So initially, we're hit with a problem. There are quarrels and conflicts. In fact, if you just go up to chapter three, you know, just go up and sit. You know, he's talking. Remember to a group of people, a church much like this, you know, predominantly Jewish, but would have had both true believers and people that weren't quite there yet. They were professing the believers uh, to be believers, such as the people in James chapter 2 who said, uh, you know, I, I, you've got faith with works, I've got faith without works, what's the difference? And so it's a big issue that we understand what true salvation is. And, and then as, as you think about it, you know, James is saying at the end of James chapter 3, he says, uh, verse 13, who, is wise, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and gentleness and wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. And so he says, if this is what's going on, and then in chapter 4, he just acknowledges that this is the case. What is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? And we'll see the problem is us. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Basically, it's our flesh. You know, you think of what Paul Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. You know, again, I think of the keys, some of the keys to the Christian life as the women were uh, memorizing scripture. I hope that Galatians 5, 16, and 17 is on the list here because it should be. Because this is a key again. Where Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So it's like, Okay, why? For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. That's the problem we have as long as we're in the flesh. And as long as we are alive, we're in the flesh. So James is just reiterating for us what's throughout the Bible is that the problem is us. Verse 2, you lust and do not have, it's what we do. You know, we want all kinds of things. The word lust is a strong word for desire. You want this, you want that, or the other thing. If you can't have it, ultimate, really far-reaching example, you commit murder. And you take it. You know, I want it, I can't get it, I'll get rid of you so I can have your stuff. You do not have because you do not ask. You're trying to do this all on your own. You're not even bothering asking God, even though you're in the church. You know, you just read, you know, uh, you know, reading over James again, you realize, you know, showing personal favoritism, chapter 2. Just being a hearer of the word and not a doer, chapter 1. You know, thinking that just saying you have faith and believing in a God without anything to back it up in your life, you know, is useless. 
And so we have all these difficulties within us. And then even if, when you do ask, suppose you get real desperate, you ask and do not receive because you ask it with wrong motives that you usually spend it on your own pleasures. That's a real key, by the way, is when you ask God for something, ask yourself, why am I asking for this? Why do I want God to do this? So I can look better, so I can feel better. So da 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 And he says, the reason that you're not receiving what you've asked for, maybe Kevin will cover part of this in his whole discourse on prayer, is that uh, Scripture is very clear. God answers prayer according to his will that he may be glorified. John 14, 1 John. You can, you can read those for homework. So he says, you ask, you know, because you just want to spend it on your own pleasures. And then in verse 4, you adulteresses, this is who you are. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why would he say that? Because remember, back up again to chapter 3, because you're exhibiting this bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, where is this coming from? Verse 15, this wisdom is not from, which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural divine. You're just living according to the world. You, you, you know, and the world has a lot to offer. I mean, there's a lot of good things. I'm going to be going to Southern California, Lord willing, next week, and spend some time, you know, in the Irvine, uh, Newport area, rich place. It, it, and I have to drive through to L.A. to get there. It, and there's parts of L.A. that are not so nice. But there are some very nice places down there. And so you realize what the world has to offer can be somewhat appealing. I had a dream last night about a Ferrari. About uh, this, uh, we were we were somewhere in a, we had it was a new house for us and I was looking opening the doors to see where they went and this was the garage door and I opened the door and it was it was somebody else's garage and I said oh I guess this is your part and they said yeah anyway this guy we started talking and he, he had this fancy Ferrari like the guy's Porsche at, at Kevin's brother's place and uh, and you know. There's a lot of neat things. That guy, basically, his life is his car. And so there's, you know, but if you do that, you're an enemy with God. And then here's really the problem, verse 5. And if you have a New American Standard, follow the alternate reading, which is in the margin, which says, The spirit which he has made to dwell in us lusts with envy. In other words, God's given us life. Since Genesis 3, we've grouped it up. So all that's within us, you know, in the flesh, is evil. You know, it's just the way we are. And then verse 6. But, boy, this is where you are thankful. Verse 6 is there. Because if verse 6 is not there, if he stopped there, we are doomed to a life of quarrels, Conflicts, lusting and can't have, murder, lie, cheat, steal, <coughs> being uh, a friend with the world, an enemy of God. If it stops at verse 5, there is no hope. And indeed, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So if that's true, what are you doing here? You know, go home, put something on the, the fire, either to cook or to be warm. But 
But but there is a difference. But he gives, God gives, a greater grace. Greater than what? Greater than the conflict we experience. Greater than the quarrels. Greater than the conflict. Greater than my lusting. Greater than, you know, me trying to pursue spending things on my own pleasure. Greater than all of my problem, God gives a greater grace. And that's why we sing all those songs about grace, because it's, it's, we don't deserve it, do we? I mean, God clearly said in, uh, in Genesis to Adam, look, if you eat of this tr fruit, you're going to die. And he, he died spiritually. There was that separation between them and God. God spared their physical life. But uh, without this, we're in trouble. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who are the proud? Guess where conflicts, quarrels, all this lusting so you commit murder and everything else comes from? You're proud. Going to do it my way. God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And really, if you look at this, verses 7, 8, and 9 are explaining to us what it means to be humble before God. And he ends, verse 10, with humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. So here's the road. Here's the road that uh, I think it's specifically uh, written to non-believers trying to get them to come to Christ because these steps truly are going to uh, encompass salvation. But also as we live life and as we find ourselves slipping these are also applied to us and help us because these are just basic biblical principles. God is opposed to the proud always, no matter who it is. God will give grace to the humble always, no matter who they are. God is always the answer. So what is the end? What are the ten steps? Verse 8. Now we have a helicopter. Verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Oh, no. Verse 7, I missed one. Submit, therefore, to God. That's where it all starts. Submit, therefore, to God. Rank yourself under to God. You know, if you want to think about what that looks like, Jesus told us what it looks like. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It means you take yourself off the throne and you put him on the throne. It means you recognize he is God and you are not. It means you recognize he's holy and holy and you are not, like, like Isaiah said. And so it, it's a basic submission of our will to, to, uh, to the fathers. But I think, for me, one of the key illustrations is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he knows, he's about to die. And it wasn't just uh, the physical death and the pain that he was uh, dreading. That was horrific. But it was the separation from God. It was, it was, and I don't know how that happened. Somehow, for the only time in all of eternity, he's going to be, he's going to bear our sin when he's holy, holy, holy. And because he's bearing our sin, there's going to be, God's going to be angry with him as he would, as he is with us. And so he bore all of that, and that's what he was dreading. 
So in the garden, hours before this is going to happen, he tells his disciples, you stay, guys, here, stay here. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he goes a little further, falls on his face, and he says, Father, if it is possible. Mark says, Lord, you are, you are all powerful. Find another way. You know, remove this cup. I, I, if it's possible, let this cup pass through. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to experience being at war with you. Or worse, having you at war with me. Why do you think he cried from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I don't want to experience that. And so he says, let it pass. Yet, here's the submission part. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So it all starts with us coming in, in being submissive to the will of God. Basic, is it not? Basic. Step number two. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee, flee from you. Remember we had said last time that predominantly the devil you know, works in false teaching, in lies. John 8, 44, the you know, he's a liar and a murderer. He has been from the beginning. It's where he it's what he did in Genesis 3. Remember, the first thing he said to Eve is, indeed, has God said? And then she says, yeah, we're going to die if we have He says, no, you won't. God knows when you eat a tree, you're going to be like him. So he lied from the beginning, and he keeps lying. And he's going to come to us and say, hey, has God really said? Has God really said, you know, you should not lie? Has God really said, you shouldn't steal? I mean, are the Ten Commandments for us today? They're very old. I mean, I mean, you know, etc., etc., etc. Well, yeah. We resist him, and the way we resist him, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, says, uh, verse 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert to your adversaries. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's looking, we're all vulnerable, and he's just, he's just wondering when, when to attack. And Peter says, resist him. Okay? Peter and James are on the same page. Resist him. How? Firm in your faith. You say, okay, Satan, you are telling me this. You know, you're telling me abortion is a woman's right to get rid of a baby that's within her, and it's okay. You're telling me a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man, and it's okay. You're telling me all kinds of things. But what James was saying, if you submit to God, you submit to his word, he's got a different plan and a different idea. And so what you need to do when the Satan throws those lies up at us, the way we resist is, as Paul says, as we put on the armor, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers of, of darkness, the, against the schemes of the devil. And remember, he says, you know, take the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Faith in what God has said. Faith in his plan. Faith that he is sovereign and knows what he's doing. Faith that he will accomplish what he said he will accomplish. He means what he says and he says what he means. I mean, faith in all of it. 
And Satan throws up something like a flaming dart when they fought wars there. Part of what they did is they would shoot arrows at you. They didn't have guns. They had arrows and boulders. They shoot but what they would do is they dip the, the arrow in tar, light it, and shoot it at you. So, of course, if it hit you or got close, it, spat, it splattered tar. That was on fire. And now you're on fire. So it, it was pretty horrific. So what they did is they had shields about the size of a door that on the outside was covered with leather so that when they when held it up, the arrow would hit the leather, sink in, and extinguish the flame. So the imagery that Paul is telling us is when Satan sends us these lies, we hold up the shield of faith that is able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. We hold up the truth. We just say, well, you're saying this, but thus says the Lord. And remember, that's how Jesus battled with Satan in Matthew 4 in all of his three temptations, three major ones. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Yeah, I know that we're in the 21st century. I know everybody's doing it, but God says this. That's how we resist. And, and that's key. We, we, it's a battle for the minds. Uh, another one, I think it was 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 4. Well, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powered for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. As we submit to his word and we, we throw up the shield and resist the devil and he will flee from us. Truth always wins. God's truth will always win. Step number three. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Verse eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What in the world does that look like? What is that? Uh, I think of Jeremiah. The nation of Israel was in trouble, and uh, God sent them into captivity to Babylon for 70 years because of their sin. And uh, he writes instructions on how to live in captivity in, uh, in Jeremiah 29. And he, he gets down and he gives them hope. He says, for example, Verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. He says, you know, there's coming a day, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I think one of the major ways we draw near to God is we submit to the Lord, we submit to his truth, and we pray. We, we come to him in prayer. Pray and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Prayer. Honest, gut-wrenching prayer before the Lord. Isaiah 55 says basically the same thing. Listen to this. Isaiah 55. And Isaiah is writing basically in the same situation. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found and draw near. Draw near is not there. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man, unrighteous man his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to, and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. 
Call upon him while he is near. You call out, you pray. The Psalms, almost every single Psalm is written as a prayer to God. I was reading this morning Psalm 11. Well, I was also reading Psalm 40. Let's do Psalm 40. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. That's a prayer. He brought me out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. He has set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. We draw near by, by just a serious prayer to the Lord. So I think, you, I think you're seeing, or I hope you're seeing, that these steps are just fundamental throughout the entire scripture. We submit to God, your will, not mine. We, we resist the devil, your truth, not his. We draw near in prayer. Lord, I need you. I need help. Please help me. Number three. Yeah, we got, oh yeah, number four. We submit, we resist, we draw near number four, we cleanse. Draw near to God, he'll draw near. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Isaiah, again, when you think, use the Israelites as an example. They were a mess. In fact, they were so bad. In Isaiah chapter 1, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaiah 1.10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's talking to his own people. This is how bad it was. And what he tells them in verse 16 is wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. How do I do that? Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. You know, you know what that is? It's an R word. Repent. Repent is you gotta, you got to turn around and go the opposite direction. I think one of the more graphic illustrations of repentance is in Ezekiel 14. Again, this shows you the sorry state of Israel. Ezekiel's talking to the leaders of Israel. Verse 1, some elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me. And God says, should I even be consulted by them? Should I even listen Verse 4, therefore speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord, any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquities. And then comes the prophet and he wants an answer. I'll give him an answer. In other words, you stop submitting to God, you submit to the world. You stop listening to God, you're listening to the devil. There's only two chances, choices. You know, you're not drawing near and so you've got all these stumbling blocks and you're falling all over yourself. So what do we do? God told them, in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your face away from all your abominations. It's key to salvation. Jesus, Matthew 4, 17, 
Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Acts 2, Peter on the day of Pentecost, they were pierced to the heart. What do we do? And he said, repent. you got to turn from your sin and turn to God. You turn from the devil and you turn to God. Now, yes, we, we, we have lapses here and there, but the direction of our life and our desire is him and him alone. So, and then James, I think we got that. Actually, if you think about it, they all make sense. I love it when it makes sense. You submit to God, your will, not mine. Resist the devil because his will is not yours. And I'm going to draw near as I may be struggling with it. Oh, God, help. I'm cleansing my eye. Lord, help me get rid of my stumbling blocks. Help me get rid of the roadblocks. I'm going to cleanse my hands. And he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, we understand that to cleanse, to purify, is you know is basically the same. You gotta you know you purify your hearts. But what's significant about verse eight is the end. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. To be double-minded is to literally be double-souled. In other words, is to have a foot, one foot in the church in one foot in the world. And it's oh, the, the term double-minded is only used by James in this book. Remember, it was used earlier in James chapter 1, where we're to ask in faith and not wavering. For if we waver, he says, uh, we are like... Uh, without wavering... For you know, if we waver without faith, we're like a, don't expect that man to receive anything from the Lord. James 1.8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you're, if you're, if you've got one foot here and one foot there, you're torn. It's like, you know, you stand up. We, we could do this, but we won't. We stand up. We'll use, we'll put Kevin in the middle. He will let his wife pull on one arm and I'll pull on the other arm. And, and that's, that's what happens when you're double soul. So he's saying, get rid of that. Get rid of that. Great example. Great example is First Kings. First Kings. Remember good old Elijah? In First Kings 18, the children of Israel again were disobeyed God, we're in trouble. And so Elijah, the prophet of God, is trying to get them on the road to recovery. And part of what he says, you guys got to purify your hearts because you're double-minded. Remember when they go up to Mount Carmel and they have a contest with the, with the prophets of Baal? Elijah draws, came near to all the people. This is 1 Kings 18, 21. It's, it's there. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? Because some of you are saying, yeah, today Baal looks pretty good. Tonight, oh, God looks pretty good. Tomorrow morning, oh, back to Baal. In the afternoon, back to God. How, how long are you going to go back and forth being double-souled, being so unstable? If the Lord is God, follow him. Make a decision. If Baal is, but if Baal, follow him. The, the point is, you've got to be all in. 
got to be all in. Remember, as uh, another illustration, I thought it was was general with Joshua. Joshua, as uh, the children of Israel had gotten into the land, they were being settled. And, and God, and everybody knew that they had this propensity to be double-souled. To be following God, to be looking at the world and thinking, oh, that looks pretty good. And so, part of Joshua's uh, encouragement to them was in Joshua 24, 14, Now therefore, for the fear of the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. But, or if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, uh, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, uh, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I think one of the ways that you purify your heart, you double-minded, is you are all in. You're all in. You're not holding any chips back. You're not thinking, I need this for another day. You are all in. You know, I, 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 I've never done it, because I'm not any good at cards, but regardless, I've seen it done, right? Where, where, where they're all in, and they, say, and they push all their things in. In other words, I am fully committed. And that's what James is saying. If, if you want... If you want to be a friend of God and love the world, you've got to submit to him, resist the devil, draw near, cleanse your hearts, you've got to purify your heart, your hearts are double-minded. And then he says, you've got to be sorry for your sin. Okay? Number six, step six, is be miserable. <laughs> so, if, if you're telling people, you know, God is great, God is good, but the way you get to him and have forgiveness in it, is you've got to be miserable. It's true. You've got to be miserable first. Okay? Be miserable. That's why we started with Isaiah 6. Here's why we are to be miserable. Again, the scripture is so consistent. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. You know, some people would say that was far out. What a great thing. Let's make a movie to try to look. Let's do all this. Well, it wasn't necessarily Isaiah's approach. But feeling seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And what did they call out? Holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And what was the response? The foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of them who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. God is holy, holy, holy. This is a big deal. And Isaiah's response wasn't, oh, this is far out. I mean, I, I, we got to record this, like I said, you know, uh, on Friday. You know, in our day and age, it says, where's my phone? I got a video of this. We came back from, or I was coming back from L.A., once and off the 405 freeway, noticed all these. Well, noticed smoke first. There was a car on fire off on the side road. It was so amazing. It's all these people were standing around doing what? Watching. With their phones. Everybody is filming the fire. 
You know, and, and so and you think that's what we do today. Isaiah would show up and, and he'd do that. No, 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 he says, you know, you know what? He was miserable. In fact, he was scared. He was scared. See, the way to God is first of all, you got to be scared of God. A scared is not a word. You got to be afraid of God. You got the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, and, and that's not just reverential trust. That's holy terror because He is holy, holy, holy. And what Isaiah realized, and the reason he's miserable, is because he says, "Woe is me! This is not good. I am ruined." Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. Being miserable over your sin. That's the point. You've got to be miserable over your sin. Otherwise, why do I need a Savior? Why care? Number seven. Kind of goes with this. We're miserable over our sin, and we mourn. We mourn because I have wronged the Holy God. I have fallen short of the glory of God. Again, the scripture is so, so consistent. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first Beatitudes is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In fact, that's the first one. No, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who uh, subject themselves to me and are humble. And you're mourning because you realize your sin. And then, the next one goes with it. You're mourning, you're weeping. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. If you saw the Lord high and lifted up, holy, 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 it's, it, you know, and you realize how sinful you are. Thank God, by God's grace, God took care of Isaiah. Remember the the, 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 the angel of the seraphim went and took the coal, cleansed his mouth, says, your sin is forgiven. Without that, it's hopeless. And, uh, you know, but where it starts in Scripture is to, is to be broken over your sin, to mourn, to weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning. In your mourning, you know, just lament, weep, and wail. Did we do weep? We didn't do weep. Number eight is weep. Weep, it's the same thing. And really, it, it's the, the word, if you're looking for differences, you know, one, some said it's, it's an outward manifestation of your grief. So you're miserable, you're mourning, you're weeping, you're, you're showing people you're weeping. How did, they, how did they show they were weeping in the Old Testament? What did they wear? Sackcloth. Sackcloth and ashes. You know, the illustration I was going to use was uh, Genesis 37, 34, where Jacob is grieving over his son Joseph, that the brothers came back and said, here's his clothes, I guess an animal ate him, and it said that Jacob put on sackcloth and ashes and grieved for his son. That's what we should be doing over our sin. And then, all wrapped up, we lament. We lament. You know, listen to, dude, again, Dear Prophet Jeremiah, this time Lamentations. Israel had uh, was being punished by God. And at the end of Lamentations chapter 5, he says, uh, you know, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our houses to aliens. We have become orphans without a father. We have to pay for our own drinking water. 
Wood comes to us for a price. You know, there is nobody to deliver us. Our skin has become as hot as an oven because of the burning heat of famine. They ravish the women of Zion, the virgins in the city of Judah. Princes are hung by their hands. Elders who are not respected. You know, it goes on and on and on. Woe is us. So he says, the crown of our has fallen from our heads. Woe is us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes are dim. You see, you've got to get to that point of mourning and griefing and weeping and lamenting over your sin. That's where it starts. And then you go to the Savior and you say, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And David gives us this great principle in Psalm 51. You know, again, it's just glorious how all this ties together. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And this is broken over what you have done and who you are. Not broken over getting caught. You know, years ago, I, I spent some time with a, with a young man uh, in the, the old Calaveras jail. It was the old jail. And I got to, we got to use the lawyer's room. So it was just me and him, the glass, doing a Bible study. He was very, he was very sorry. I mean, you would think, oh, he's weeping in the morning. And then after a while, I began to realize, and I don't know whether I asked him this or not, I said, are you sorry for what you did or that you got caught? And I remember I came away with the impression, these guys just sorry they got caught. And they just want to think about how I can get out and do the same thing without getting caught. But that's not what God wants. That is not a broken and contrite spirit and a broken heart. A contrite heart. That God says, I want you to be broken over sin like Isaiah because I'm holy and you are not. And then the last one kind of sums it all up. Whoa, my goodness. <laughs> that clock should have been over here. Wouldn't have made any difference. This this will go fast. The last one. The last one is humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and guess what happens? He will exalt you. He will exalt you. You know, and you think, exalt me how? Well, go up to chapter 3, verse 18. The contrast to envy and strife and, uh, and discord and all the pain and misery is in James 3.17. The wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I think that's one of the ways God lifts you up. You come and you submit to him, you resist the devil, you believe God, you draw near to him in prayer and however you can come, you cleanse your hands, you perfume our hearts, purify your hearts, you're miserable in the morning, you weep, you're, you're lamenting, and you humble yourself under God, and he will lift you up. One last example. And I, great, this is, this is a great story. And with this, we do close. Because that's the end. See right there. That, uh, there is the end. Luke 18. Jesus tells this parable. Here's the contrast. Here's the contrast. And you could put these guys in James 4. Okay? 
He told them a parable, verse 9, of some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood. Now this is one of Jesus' pastors. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer, collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. In other words, I'm okay. Aren't you glad you have me on your team? Okay, so he's the guy in James 4 who has got quarrels and all of this and worrying, and he's not asking, or he's asking, he's not getting because he's asking for the wrong motive. He's that guy. And then the other guy, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven and was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He's in the temple, so he's submitting to God. He, he's crying out to God. He's drawing near. He's resisting the devil in the sense that he's there. And he's humbling himself. He is miserable and mourning and lamenting and, and, and falling down before the Lord, pleading for mercy. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house greater than the uh, justified. This man went to his house justified rather than the other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And here he says, justify, save, put on the right track. This morning as I was going over this, I thought of this great song. We used to sing it, but it's really not a congregational type song. But Ross King wrote this song, and it goes like this. Listen to just part of this. I think this sums up what we've been saying in James. Here's what you need to do to be lifted up by God, to be justified, to be forgiven, to be put back on track. He says, clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze, if that's what the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations to and know until the congregation's few then, then have revival. Tell your friends that this is where the party ends. Until you're broken for your sins, you cannot be social. Then seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store. And know that great is your reward, so just be faithful. So just be hopeful. Take a break from the, all the plans that you have made and sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper. Beg him please to open up his mouth and speak and pray for real upon your knees until they blister. Shine the light on every corner of your life until the pride and lust and lies are in the open. Then read the word and put to test the things that you have heard until your heart is sold and stirred and rocked and broken. And, and that's James 4. That's, and then humbling yourself and God will lift you up and he will display his great grace because his grace is greater than your problem and greater than what you have. So Father, as we uh, conclude this part James, uh, we'll be back after Easter. Uh, we think about how great you have been to us. And I think everyone in this room would uh, agree that your grace has been abundant for every one of us. In so many ways. So many ways. And Lord, may we not forget. 
And when we find ourselves kind of slipping away and maybe wandering toward the world, maybe you're listening more to the devil than we should, maybe putting up idols and maybe we start stumbling here or there, we come back to James 4 and we say, okay, I need to submit, I need to resist, I need to draw near, I need to be miserable more, I need to humble myself again under God's hand. And then you're so gracious, and every single time you will lift us back up. And for those who have never been here, I think those were primarily James is addressing, and they need to come. Otherwise, it'll be too late. But Lord, we're here to thank you for the grace in our lives. Grace that is greater than all our sin. So as we, we're going to close this morning with this great, great, great hand. And uh, you may know this one or you may not, but it's, it's fairly simple. So, so we are just going to uh, start.
are so thankful that is true. Help us live in light of that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.